Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Chicago City Council held a hearing today to find out what exactly happened the night Chicago police wrongfully raided Anjanette Young's home on the city's west side. Young is a social worker. She had just finished her shift and was undressing in her bedroom when 11 officers and one sergeant burst into her home. Their weapons were drawn and they handcuffed her naked as she repeatedly told them they had the wrong house. Yesterday, Mayor Lori Lightfoot announced that all officers involved in the mistaken raid have been placed on desk duty, while the Civilian Office of Police Accountability investigates the case. Until the COPA investigation is complete, these officers need to be off the street. But that investigation needs to be handled and come to conclusion in an expeditious way. Now lawmakers and community leaders are calling for swift police reform in Chicago and Illinois. One such group is Campaign Zero, a data-driven policy platform working toward ending police violence. DeRay McKesson is a co-founder of the group, and he joins us now. DeRay, welcome to Reset. It's good to be here. Tell us more about Campaign Zero and the work that you're doing. Yes, I was one of the original protesters in Ferguson back in 2014, and we looked up and we were trying to figure out what was happening across the country And we started a platform called Mapping Police Violence, which is one of our many projects in Campaign Zero, where we actually have the most comprehensive database of police violence in the U.S. So we know that the police kill around 1,100 people a year. It's been consistent since we've had data. This year, even, the police have actually killed more people this year than last year. So that's how we started, with looking at what was happening at scale, and then we work on systemic solutions. So we lead the work on police unions in the country, use of force. Uh, and now around ending no-knock raids. Yeah, so you mentioned your early work. You know, you've been around for, for quite some time doing this work. You were an early supporter, DeRay, of, of the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, we've seen you all over social media, of course, right? You were active in the protests in Ferguson and Baltimore. So I'm wondering, when you first heard about what happened to Miss Young, how did you react to that? I was actually not surprised, right, because we know that these things happen way more than video footage uh, exists, that, like, the police are raiding people's homes. And it's one of those things that what I think gets lost in the public conversation is that it's not about banning no-knock warrants. The police don't need a no-knock warrant to actually just break into somebody's home. It is about restricting the execution of all search warrants. So, yes, we should ban no-knock warrants. But we also want to make sure that we restrict the execution of what's called a knock and announce, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a, what you see on TV, right, where the police come and say, hey, I have a warrant to search your property, let me in, is that these sort of raids happen so much, like mistaken identity, don't find anything. You know, there's not a lot of recourse for you to, like, get pain and suffering damages or property damages recovered. It is a, it's a bad process. Yeah. So from your perspective, what specifically went wrong in this case? Oh, a host of things. Did you get a chance to see the actual warrant? Um, I sure did, yes. Warrant? You're like, yes. So first of all, just from what they had to prove on the front end is so sparse, right? The police don't actually have to make a strong case at all. 
they just sort of list it. It's two pages. It's like fill in the blank. So we should require so much more on the front end before we even allow police to ask for warrants. And and this was a great example where, like, they're just like, hey, we're going to go in this house, this house. Somebody said this. There's no process by which they have to check that information or anybody requires them to prove that what they wrote is true. And then you see when they come in, it's like they find nothing in the property that warrants this. And then afterwards, they fight for two years to make sure that people can't even find the video. But in that process, there's no recourse. So when we look at the Illinois state law, we have a rubric out of 15. The Illinois law is only two out of 15. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no wait time required. Officers don't have to announce. They don't always have to be in uniform. The application's really weak. You know, we see a host of these things present in this situation, but you think about how many other situations this is true in. Well, I want to play a bit of Anjanette Young talking about the wrongful raid on her home in 2019 after the footage was released last week. Let's listen. It's one of those moments where I just felt like that I could have died that night. If I had made one wrong move, I felt like they would have shot me. DeRay, based on the work that you do, how often do no-knock police raids go wrong? Yeah, so here's what we know is that uh, there are about 60,000, at least 60,000 of these that happen in a given year. There were 3,000 when this first started, and this is a product of the war on drugs. The vast majority of these happen because of some sort of claim about drug use. Like, that's what happens. Now, we don't have great data on how many of these happen in a given city because the police fight really hard to make sure that we can't see search warrant applications or how many times they request. But what we do know is that it is a traumatizing experience, right, to have somebody, like, break into your home, that that is, that that's sort of wild. Uh, And we find that this happens more and more than you'd believe. So in two places, we have a lot of data, so Maryland and Utah. And in those places, it's upwards of 70% of any SWAT team deployment or task force. Uh, It is drugs and it is forcible entry. Now, Mayor Lightfoot has admitted that she knew about the mistaken raid much earlier than she initially had stated. Uh, And this week, the city's top lawyer, Mark Flessner, he resigned. So it recently came to light that the city's law department tried to block footage of the wrongful raid from being released. How can we keep leaders and officials accountable on this issue? Yes, I think that, and I'm hopeful that there'll be a proposal at the State House in Illinois, and, I, and I've heard that that is coming to just restrict, severely restrict the execution of these search warrants. I think that the police shouldn't have the power to do this, and I think there's actually consensus. We polled nationally with UGov, and there's consensus at the national level. We'll do a poll in Illinois about this soon. Uh, but I think that people are, are ready for the police not to have this power. I think also, you know, it's disappointing for Lightfoot to say she didn't know and then be like, she didn't know. And, you know, she's somebody who came from police oversight. Like, she understands this better than most uh, mayors might because she that used to be the work that she did. Right. So that was disappointing. I think that the city council or the governor or the state legislatures can restrict this really quickly. And, again, we think in this case where they said they thought they were going to find a felon with a gun. And that just wasn't true. And the other thing is that Illinois state law uh, and the contract in Chicago don't necessarily allow officers to be subject to criminal prosecution when they violate these things. And that's sort of annoying, too. And what what makes this one so wild is that the person who was actually the subject was on electronic monitoring at the time. So it's like if the police really wanted to do due diligence, they would have known that the person they were actually looking for was being monitored by the city at the same time, you know? And correct me if I'm wrong, have they still not pursued, continued to pursue that person that they were originally looking for? 
So because it was two years ago, I don't think that they publicly said anything about the actual person that they are, uh, that they're looking for. But this was bad information from an informant. And, you know, it's interesting because in a lot of places, you actually can't file an anonymous complaint against a police officer that, like, they make it really hard. But the police take anonymous information and break into people's houses, right? Like, that actually doesn't make sense. Now, DeRay, you you mentioned this a bit earlier, but, you know, the the city council's Black Caucus is pushing for police reforms. I know you've done quite a bit of work on the movement to defund the police. Now, the Black Caucus here is demanding more civilian oversight of the police department, and it's calling for the end of search warrants based solely on the word of informants. What are your thoughts on these reforms? Yeah, so I think that that's like a a good start, but not enough, right? There are a host of other ways that we can restrict the execution of search warrants to protect a lot of people. So the informant piece is just a, a sliver of it. Uh, you know, there are other things that you probably already thought were happening. So when the police file requests to execute search warrants, they should have to say the estimated age and gender of all the people in the house, that a judge should know if this is going to be a daycare center, if it's going to be an uh, elderly home, right? That, like, that isn't wild. That the police shouldn't be able to show up in plain clothes, that they shouldn't be able to use stun guns and, and those sort of devices. When we look at the data, the police are not recovering, like, stockpiles of weapons or drugs. Like, it's just not happening. And for people that the police actually think are kingpins, you know, they're not even raiding their houses. And you know why? Because the police think that it's too dangerous to just barge in in somebody's house who actually might be some massive drug dealer. So this is always about low-level drug arrests. And it's like we should not be breaking into people's homes, especially mm-hmm. not for $200 worth of, of drugs, you know? As we mentioned earlier, DeRay, you're working with Chicago lawmakers, right, to, to restrict the practice of no-knock warrants and, and raids here. Tell us more about those efforts. W- which lawmakers, first of all? So, you know, hopefully the bills come out soon. Uh, we are putting the most pressure at the, in the state. So there are a group of legislators in the state house who will be introducing uh, a really robust bill around this soon, hopefully, which we're excited about. Uh, there's a bill that just came out in New York State that is the best in the country. And as you probably know, uh, Virginia also just restricted the execution of search warrants. That was really good. The two that people talk about a lot are Oregon and Florida. They just banned no-knock warrants, which substantively will have no change because the police, like I said, do not need a no-knock warrant to execute a no-knock raid. That is a misnomer. People just confuse it. But in Mm -hmm. Illinois, there are a group of black legislators at the state level who are excited about this and who are pushing for real structural change. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, you'll see a bill. So given your experience, DeRay, in general, what kind of police reform do you think we need here in Chicago and in Illinois? And the stuff that we need is, it makes a lot of sense, right? It's like, so the things around no-knocks are, are simple. There's been a lot of work in Chicago around uh, weakening the power of the police union to be involved in discipline, to overturn discipline. There's been a lot of good work forced by activists and journalists to make more data public. So. We know more about uh, discipline with Chicago Police Department officers than, than almost any other major city in America, and that has been the Invisible Institute's work has been really eye-opening to help people understand that there's often a small set of officers who do so much bad uh, that it seeps and spreads across the department, and the Chicago Police Department was one of the key ones that helped us understand that. And we also know that the police union is a big driver around the budget, right? That so like almost 80% of the police department budget is people. And that is wrapped up in the contract. So there are great activists who have been working on, on that work. You know, you all, Cook County also has the biggest single-site jail in the United States, and there's been a lot of work around decarceration around that jail. 
Like, how do we make sure that there's not a feeder system from policing to the jail? And then the third piece is the state's attorney there, uh, who is a real a real bellwether for how we can make sexual change. So you know that in Illinois, felony theft is uh, $300. So theft, it's a really low amount to be considered a felon. And mm-hmm. she said that she won't prosecute anyone under $1,000, right? So it's those sort of things that actually matter a ton. Because imagine getting two years in jail for for stealing an iPhone, right? Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Campaign Zero helped with this effort in, in New York, um, where, where lawmakers recently introduced a legislation that would restrict the use of dangerous no-knock warrants and raids. Can you talk about that legislation and the work you did there? Yeah, so a great group of legislators, so Senator Benjamin Sanders and Representative O'Donnell at the State House. So they had been interested in this for a while. There was a black woman whose house was raided in Harlem years ago, and that was like the, one of the most significant cases. The thing about this is that people saw Breonna Taylor, and they were like, wow, that's really bad in Louisville. And people didn't realize that, like, these raids are happening all across the country. So we mapped them. So if you go to endallnonox.org, you actually see a map of, like, where raids are happening in every single state across the country. So that was true in New York. And they were trying to figure out, like, what we could do to end it. So they thought, like most people do, that it is about banning no-knock warrants. And then we had a lot of conversations with their teams about it, and we worked on legislation to get to a place where, like, this will be the most comprehensive bill in the United States. So the NYCLU is on board and a host of other partners are on board to get this across the finish line because – uh, it doesn't make sense for the police to execute a search warrant at 3 a.m., you know, like that. Mm-hmm. Those sort of things don't make sense. And the police will tell you things like this is for terrorism or human trafficking. When we look at even the police data, that's not true. This is about drugs. And this legislation in New York, what is it looking like compared to other proposals that we're seeing around the country? It's the best. It's incomparable. So out of our rubric, our rubric is 15 out of 15. New York is 15 out of 15. I think Virginia was a six. Uh, and they are one of the St. Louis City is the sixth right now. So we're hoping to get, and all this is public on the site, but we're hoping to get people as close to 15 as possible. There's, there's a really good bill that's uh, being worked on in Kentucky that is looking really good. Uh, and as you know, Kentucky is where Brianna was killed. Yeah. Uh, we're hoping that there's going to be legislation in California. Uh, there are 37 cities and states that are working right now on some sort of no-knock legislation that we're, that we're sort of touching. So hoping that there will be some big strides. But New York right now is uh, the bellwether. Well, before we let you go, DeRay, quickly tell us about some other efforts that uh, Campaign Zero is working on. Yeah, you know, what we say is that mass incarceration actually doesn't become mass on the big things. It becomes mass on the small things. So it's like there are things like police union contracts that don't feel really big to people. But that is actually like how the police sort of move. You know, a lot of people don't realize that the police actually kill more people in suburban communities than almost all other communities combined. It's not cities. So part of our work is helping to organize people in the suburbs around these issues because that's where the trauma is actually most acute. And the third thing is that we believe that the only change that will matter will be structural. So we did a campaign called 8 Can't Wait in June, and it was the single biggest change in use of force policies and the single biggest restriction on the power of the police in U.S. history. So over 400 cities and states have restricted the power of the police because of that campaign since June. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that the federal government only has the ability, the capacity to intervene in three police departments a year. That's not a lot. There are Mm -hmm. 18,000 police departments. So uh, there's a lot of good work happening. Well, that's activist DeRay McKesson. Thank you so much for your good work. He's the co-founder of Campaign Zero. It's a policy platform to end police violence. We appreciate your time today, DeRay. We'll talk to you later. 
And that's today's Reset. To hear more conversations like this around the important stories in Chicago and beyond, hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. You'll get a fresh Reset in your feed Monday through Friday, and even some bonus podcasts on the weekend. And take one minute to give us a rating. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.